Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. I'm a professional intuitive, but I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most new age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Friday, January 17th, 2020, as I record this introduction. This week, I'm sharing some advice around using tarot and oracle cards. There's a way to use cards where they can become a crutch, or with a few simple intentional tweaks, they can help you develop your intuitive abilities. This is the same advice I give to mentoring clients in the Automatic Intuition program who are already comfortable with cards and want to continue using them as an element in their professional readings. That's coming up in just a few minutes. As always, there's an Oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or concern you have. Hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra message. Now, when you go to sladeroberson.com readings, in addition to booking a reading with me, you can also connect with other intuitives, psychics, mediums, energy healers, and astrologers from the Automatic Intuition community. This week, I'd like to introduce you to Lori J. Ference, whose interview you may remember from an earlier episode of this show. I have also been interviewed by Lori for her show, twice I think. Once just me as a solo, and then another time on a three-way conversation with myself, Lori, and channel Frank Butterfield. And that was a really cool episode, if you've ever heard that one. It was fun to do. Lori is an adventurer, an explorer, and an intuitive guide adept at unearthing deeply held stories shifting perspective, and catalyzing transformation. She specializes in ancestral healing and visibility coaching, and she also hosts the Leaders Call to Adventure podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Lori J. Ference and the services she offers, please check out her site at leaderscalltoadventure.com. You can find her direct link as well as the other featured practitioners at sladeroberson.com readings. Impersonal news. So I've been doing the 20 for 2020 Facebook challenge, which is only doing 20 minutes a day of Facebook. So uh, I've talked about this a little bit before, so I won't go into a lot of detail. But basically, I took the Facebook app off my phone because I waste a lot of time checking it and obsessively scrolling at night. And I'm, it's not so much impacting my work time, but it's impacting my downtime and my recovery time. And I am looking to just reclaim as much time and energy as possible. But I will definitely say that when you take that op- app off your phone, you realize immediately how addictive the impulse is to pick it up. Now, I'm not slamming Facebook at all. I'm not leaving Facebook. I don't have a problem with Facebook. I met the love of my life on Facebook. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I have to be there for work. And that's where so many of my relationships with you guys take place. So I'm just looking to control when I do it and to do it intentionally as part of my work and 20 minutes a day. Well, I really don't miss it 
very much at all. And my screen report, you know, if you have an iPhone, iPad, anything in the Apple environment, uh, you may have these in Android as well. But there's a report on your data usage in terms of what kind of apps you're using, productivity versus entertainment versus messaging, social media, all that kind of stuff. And it will also tell you how many times you pick up your phone. And it was crazy because... Uh, immediately just the overall use of my phone went down like 79%. Um, my use of social media, even with still having Instagram on my phone, which I will scroll every once in a while, um, as an alternative, it's like a Nicorette patch (laughs) or something. Um, even with that, uh, my average per day usage the first couple weeks has been seven minutes a day. So I don't even need, excuse me, my nose is itching. I don't even need 20 minutes. Uh, and I still feel like I can go in and check and, and respond to some of the things that are tagging me. I am missing some messages every now and then if they come in the form of an event invitation or if you invite me to a group, something like that. I'm not seeing those as much. And I'm not up on anybody's birthdays. Uh, sorry doesn't mean I don't love you. And um, anyway, so yeah, big eye-opening thing that I can still do what I need to do on Facebook, just do it from my laptop when I'm at work, and I feel free in the evenings to like really focus on the stuff I like to do, which is uh, hang out with Steven, read, be with my cats, uh, watch really good TV. I do love TV, and I pick very intentional shows and um, and I think they're incredible storytelling and um, I love to immerse myself in that as part of my way of rebooting my spirit and my creativity. So anyway, I just wanted to report back and kind of update some of you who uh, said that you'd be following along or were interested in trying it yourself. I'd love to hear um, posts in the Shift Your Spirits community or something and and let me know if you're doing this as well and uh, what kind of impact it's had or what it's revealed to you about the nature of kind of a compulsion and addiction. I'm still doing this hardcore fiction writing schedule, um, of course. Uh, I'm only halfway through the first month. I'm doing this for three months. And it's just so freaking hard to write fiction, you guys. I mean, I think it's easier to write nonfiction because you are, even if you have to do a lot of research and organizing facts, the material exists to some degree. It is finite, it has already happened, or, you know, how you present it could be, you know, your angle or your theory. But, um, the ingredients that you uh, that you're using are kind of baked in and uh, you go and you find them and and you put them together in the order that you want or as is the case with a lot of my podcast monologues i am speaking from my personal experience so i'm just sharing something i already know my brain already knows this stuff it either read it somewhere or lived it but with fiction especially if you're writing from the perspective of of imaginary people, characters, then you are inventing everything for them in the moment. Sometimes a sentence of dialogue will require 
you to know something that happened to this person, you know, when they were in high school or whatever. So there's this thing that's churning along and it's constantly making decisions in all, you know, directions of time. And so I don't know, it's, it, it's harder to me to do that. Sometimes I have to really stop and, and think a lot because it's like playing chess. If you decide that this thing happened to this person in high school, that may change how they react in you know, the dark night of the soul moment at 80% of the way through the book. You know, And so it's, it's just hard. It's just such a completely different process. It's a passion of mine, and I'm like, why isn't it as easy as nonfiction? Um, and I have heard other people who are fiction authors say the exact opposite. So I just want to put that out there. I've heard people say, oh, it's great because I just make everything up myself. And you guys who do nonfiction, you have to go look up fact check things and whatever. Well, you know, I'm not a journalist and I don't even pretend to be fact checking any of the stuff that I talk about. But so that's what's going on with me in personal news. Um, I'm writing a trilogy. The first book needs to be published by May. Uh, I think I mentioned I have a team involved with this project. So, you know, there is kind of more of a time crunch. I'm not just doing this as inspiration strikes me. I'm really having to do it like a job. And well, so as part of the promotion for this trilogy project, we now need an additional short or a novella to use for marketing purposes. And I'm going for something around 12,000 words. And I can't write short. I'm a really long writer. I'm bad. The last time I tried to write a short story, it was cloud busting. <laughs> it was a 27,000 word novella. That was what came out of me trying to write a short story. So I'm attempting to squeeze in something that's about half that size, which is challenging because of its brevity. But also, I'm kind of supposed to write this somehow, you know, within this three month schedule. And it's basically like a fourth idea. And that has a deadline at the end of the March, which is also the end of my three by three for this whole project. So I'm employing a concept I like to call gardening, which is this idea that, you know, you work on more than one creative project at the same time, or you alternate between them, um, kind of like the way that you would tend plants in your yard or in a vegetable garden different plants require different types of attention at different times and different things bloom and require harvesting at different times and so you can shift your energy around depending on sort of what's required for your gardening time one of my author friends said that she really struggles to write 4,000 words but she can easily write 2,000 words on one book and 2,000 words on another book. So I have borrowed from that concept. Basically what I'm doing is if I have a day where I'm stuck on where to go next and I don't have everything outlined really well so that I can just churn out words, then I will jump over to this little smaller extra project and throw a few things down on that because it doesn't require as many words and... There's something about being able to flip the channel that 
somehow it just flows perfectly if I just don't work on the thing I'm supposed to be working on and go work on something else. (laughs) So I'm tricking myself into being productive by allowing myself to vent creativity through more than one things simultaneously. I don't necessarily recommend it. I'm not sure that it makes you more productive on the back end because follow through is the hard part. But yeah, it just... That's how my brain works. I definitely have a short attention span and I'm all over the place. And um, I am a little bit more of a manic, hyperactive kind of person. And um, part of the way that I cope with that is to just do everything. Um, Even though I don't, I always, you know, fall back into feeling like, well, damn it, if I only just focused on one thing at the exclusion of everything else, I would get so much further down that one road. But there's so many other side roads to explore, and I like to kind of wander out on different day trips. This is also how I like to travel. Like, rather than trying to hit a different city every two days... I like to go to one place and park and pretend that I live there and then just do a whole lot of little random daily trips within a sphere of that central location. And so my creativity and my productivity and my lifestyle practices kind of operate in a similar way. I know I want to go and do 20 different things as opposed to just doing one thing over and over again. And so, you know what? Barbara Scherr wrote a book called Refuse to Choose. It was life-changing for me. The permission to acknowledge that your brain works that way and make it a positive and um, try to find a way to, like I did, to strategize doing it so it still does feed some of your ultimate goals, but it also gives you more joy and comfort in the moment. There's one cool little program that I'm going to share with everybody called Pacemaker or the Pacemaker app. Um, It might be pacemaker.app. That might be the URL. Look it up, though. It is a um, word count, project management kind of scheduling software where you can plug in a project, the size of it. Um, the days that you want to work on it, like when does it start, when does the project end, what days are you taking off, are there certain days you need to do less and other days when you can do more. And it calculates what your goal is for any given day and it adjusts based on, you know, whether or not you exceed those goals um, or, you know, if you come in short, it it recalculates everything. Um, It's a really cool little program and you can use it for, you know, writing school reports, essays, books, editing, drafting, um, all kinds of of different things. projects that you might want to do as a student or as an author. Um, So if that is you, go check out that tool. I'm using it and I'm uh, really enjoying it because I'm not a spreadsheet person and doing all that stuff by hand is, is time consuming. So check that out if you're interested. Before I forget, I want to say a quick thank you to my newest supporter on Patreon, Jennifer Bramer. 
Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you to all of you who continue to pledge your support. It demonstrates that you're enjoying the show and you want it to continue. Listeners who support the show on Patreon can access a guided meditation called Messages from Your Spirit Guides, exclusive bonus episodes, and there's also a mastery level of support where you can download one of my courses for free each month. I am also considering launching a bonus feed for patrons that is a daily oracle message right in your podcast app to find out how you can become a patron support my time in producing this show and access extra bonus content please go to patreon.com slash shift your spirits For a lot of people, I think it's safe to say for most people even, oracle cards or divination tools are the entry point or gateway to doing psychic readings. And if you're my age or older, that's probably specifically tarot cards as the diversity that we see in options with oracle decks is definitely more of a modern phenomenon. Um... When you first encountered tarot cards, how old were you? I don't know. Like, I think I was maybe a preteen, a little bit younger than that. Most people are probably teenagers when they first start dabbling with them. Some cool goth kid you knew had a deck, you know, and did a reading for you, and you began to play with them. And the thing about these decks is that when we first encountered them, especially at a young age like that, I think that we believe or perceive that these cards have some kind of magical ability and that maybe it's even connected to spirit more in the way that Ouija boards are. And so there's a little bit of a taboo around them, especially just, uh, considering what your religious upbringing might be and you know all those factors. Um But if nothing else, we definitely first come to these tools thinking that the tools are doing the readings, right? And if you continue to develop a practice or a skill with using tarot cards and memorizing their meanings and practicing doing a lot of readings, there is some chance that these become a crutch for you or that you at least believe that the cards are doing the readings and that if you take the cards away, you can't do readings without them. So when people come into my automatic intuition uh, professional mentoring program, of course, they've got some kind of experience with cards in their background. And they often are um, people who are really into cards. They like doing oracle card readings, and it's it's part of their spiritual practice. And it's something that they dabble in or work with as a tool for meditation and for, you know, asking questions about what's going on with them and essentially doing their own readings, right? And they probably also so, of course, done these readings for their friends and family members. And when they come into the program, though, their intentions are to develop more of those raw intuitive abilities. You know, the skills that you have around clairvoyance, clairaudience, claircognizance, clairsentience. And even though all of those can come to bear in interpreting something like an oracle card reading, we definitely have this understanding that, okay, the cards are a thing 
even unto themselves, or they can be a supporting tool in this bigger picture. But I want to expand my skills in the context of the bigger picture, right? And I definitely encourage you to do that. I want you to understand the relationship between your true psychic abilities and these cards and how they interact with one another and how they can actually be a supportive tool as opposed to a crutch. But in order for them to help you develop your intuitive abilities, you have to use them in a particular way. And it's not complicated. It's actually a lot simpler than the ways that you see, you know, in the guidebooks that you get with these decks where there's like gypsy spreads and Celtic crosses and, you know, all this complex stuff with lots of different cards in certain positions. Nothing like that. I'm talking about something so much simpler um, as a way of incorporating the cards into using some of your other kind of raw gifts and actually helping you develop those. And if you want to continue to use cards in the context of your other intuitive abilities, there is a way that you can do that that is supportive as opposed to hindering you in some way. Or for you to continue thinking that they're, cr- they're a crutch because the idea of the crutch can be subconscious, right? It's like somewhere deep down, you know, in the back of your mind, if if a reading goes really well, but the cards are involved, you kind of have this thought somewhere buried in there that, oh, well, it was the cards that were doing it, not me. So just as a disclaimer, um, I don't use any kind of divination tools for clients. Um, When I do readings these days, it's mostly just a question as a prompt and I use claircognizance. I'm either just talking like I'm doing right now, um, speaking from notes, or sometimes in the case of like an email reading, uh, you're just getting um, a raw automatic writing session just bam sent to you and uh, that comes after a lot of practice and a lot of confidence in what I'm putting out and what I expect the feedback to be Um, I don't use cards except in some cases like I'll be on the phone with somebody and we're doing a reading and we get into conversation and maybe they they bring up a card like I had this happen I think I told you guys about it on the podcast where someone mentioned that they had a particular deck and they pulled a card for me or they pull, pulled a card about you know our conversation in the moment and so I said oh well let me look on my bookshelves here as a matter of fact I have that deck and I pulled mine out and you know, pulled a card too, just to see what would happen. And sometimes there's really cool little magical things that happen either in my mentoring sessions or in my readings where something like that might happen. But I never use um, cards or pendulums or anything like that as a basis for kind of how I get the information. Um, I would say that my primary tool is is kind of automatic writing or divine dialoguing, as I call it, which is sort of channeling. Um, I will sometimes use astrology, especially if someone has specifically asked me uh, for astrological information or they want to do a composite with another person like their partner business partner, someone they're dating, something like that. So there are times and places where there are exceptions and I bring in um, divination tools. The 
the the way that I most often use divination tools these days is I have an Oracle deck on my phone. Um, I have one of Colette Baron Reed's decks on my phone as an app. And sometimes I will ask questions about myself or something that's going on and look for affirmation. And I nearly always just do like a one card pull. I like a, just a simple one card sort of answer. So I will definitely pull cards for myself just as a way of discerning something about something that I'm contemplating. Because the thing is, is that it's really hard to discern intuitive information for yourself, no matter how psychic you are. You're just too invested in it. Um, If the outcome is something really positive, then you tend to undermine that with your ego, thinking, oh, well, I'm just saying that to myself because I want it to be good. Or you go the opposite route where you feel like, oh, no, this thing is now doomed and I've cursed myself and I've programmed myself to fail by seeing this. And, you know, the thing is, is that um, it really does help no matter who you are to have a a second person external to your brain do a reading for you. Um, no one can do their own psychic readings that well. Just know that. So, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who feel really frustrated because the main way that they're trying to use these tools um, is for themselves. You know, it's just they're alone in their bedroom and they're doing a card reading and they're alone and they're trying to connect with their guides in meditation. And um, it, it's very liberating to do readings for other people because you get much more of a sense of how your intuition actually works and it feels a lot more um it's easier it's just easier to do um and also you know that goes in both directions getting someone else's read on something feels a lot more authentic than trying to uh, discern between the warring voices in your mind that have overthought something to death so anyway that's my disclaimer um, about how I personally kind of interact with cards um I also don't want you to think that using cards makes you less psychic somehow. Like somehow if you do an oracle card reading for me, that that's not as elevated as somebody who does um, an aura scan and does a reading for me that way or whatever. Um, Just for the record, one of my best friends and listener of this show, hey Jeff, um, and he's also a bit of my personal psychic because he's someone that I will call up when I'm spinning about a situation and I've thought it to death and I can't tell, you know, up from down anymore. Um, He's often the person that I will text or call and say, you know, what's your read on this? And he is a card person. Uh, He really likes Oracle cards. He has a phenomenal collection of Oracle card decks. And I say that as somebody who used to work in a metaphysical bookstore and actually was a buyer for that kind of stuff. Um, I don't really know that I've seen that many bookstores that have uh, card collections that are quite as impressive as Jeff's. Um, He's got uh, a kind of process where, you know, pulling the deck itself is similar to pulling a card. So depending on the person and the context and the question, he may be drawn more towards a particular deck or a particular author and you know their system so it's really cool and you know I've had phenomenal results with having him pull cards for me so 
And he's also an extremely psychic person. So I don't want you to think that just because you're really into cards that you're not as psychic as other people because that's just bull. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, If you love cards and you love Oracle decks, you love playing with them, you love how many different kinds there are and you collect them, you know, um, compulsively, just embrace that. Uh, I think it's entirely cool. Be just an amazing card reader. But um, there are ways that you can use the cards so that it is helping you um, become more confident in your intuitive abilities and not just being a crutch or for you to demote the the use of the cards and think of them as something that's just um, less than somehow. So I do believe that you can retrieve a lot more information from other channels uh, and the process can be a lot faster. I can just direct download a much larger volume of information, typing a thousand words a minute um, in response to someone's question. And for me, that's that the thought of doing a card reading instead, like a really elaborate spread and all that stuff feels like a long and drawn out thing. But if that's something that you enjoy doing, sitting down with a friend and, you know, putting the beautiful cloth on the table and, you know, burning some incense and making a whole sort of event out of it, I think there's a lot of romance and power and magic in doing that. So um, just because I do it the way I do it, listen, it's my job and I'm really more concerned with efficiency and how much time I'm spending. Uh, That's my major concerns when I'm doing these readings now. So um, just know that that's the attitude that I'm approaching this with. There are three simple tweaks that I advise my students to make. And You could think of them also as transitional steps. So let's say you've been using cards and you like them and you get good results from them and you feel like you're pretty good, you know, at giving readings with cards. This could be the ways in which you sort of transition into incorporating some of your own intuitive abilities and other intuitive skills while still keeping the cards kind of in the mix a little bit. So Think of this as a kind of transitional sort of training wheels kind of approach. Um, But the very first thing that I want you to do is just to not use the cards at the beginning. Don't use the cards as the jump off point for the reading. Um, Because like I said, somewhere in the back of your mind, some part of your intelligence is thinking, okay, the cards are doing this or the cards are choosing or I don't know, like there's some magical spiritual hand that's picking that particular card and putting it putting it down for you. Um, the second little tweak is don't use the guidebook. Um, the especially if you're using tarot, okay? So um, that is archetypal imagery and symbols that evolved in times when most people were illiterate. And um, it that kind of imagery is meant to be interpreted by anyone. So, you know, ask yourself how you interpret the, the stories in that imagery, the symbols on those cards. How do you interpret the fact that you know, this story on this one card is right next to this story on another. Um, Synthesize and make those connections on your own. Just think of it as like a brainstorming kind of exercise and use those as prompts. Um, 
there's no way to really get it wrong. It's like asking someone to look at a piece of artwork and and tell you what they think that means. Um, it's a similar kind of personal interpretation. So by not using the guidebook and sort of using your raw abilities, you're actually tapping into some of that archetypal imagery and symbolism that transcends language and that has been you know a part of our human existence for so long. There's no telling how much we actually know about those images and what kind of thoughts they prompt in us, you know? Um, The other thing, number three on the list of tweaks, is to just to pull the card at the end of a reading. Just maybe one card. Um, Three at most. Um, And this is really the biggest tweak that will change everything in your intuitive development. I think what most people have in mind when they think about developing their psychic abilities is that they're going to go up in their tower and they're going to get really psychic and they're going to pray and they're going to meditate and, you know, practice these abilities and, you know, different techniques. And then they're going to come back down among the people and be like, ta-da, I'm now really psychic and I can do readings for you. Who wants me to read for you? Um, It doesn't really work that way. If anything, it's kind of the opposite. I think you learn how your intuitive abilities work through giving readings to other people and seeing the kind of people that you attract, the questions that you attract, and kind of following where you're guided to go. So for instance, if you find yourself you know, giving readings for people and, and a lot of past life information is coming up, then that might lead you to explore past life regression and hypnosis as specific tools. Um, you know, that may be where you focus your intuitive development. Um, someone else may find that they you know, read someone's energy or they see auras, in which case um, they might want to focus more on clairvoyant tools or learning the color symbolism, um, learning the energy centers in the body and what they stand for so that you have that frame of reference. So don't just pick something at random, you know, pick something that, that makes sense that you're being guided towards. And usually you're being guided through the people that you're reading for. There is a theme that emerges or a pattern, and you can follow that as a roadmap, um, a way to kind of move forward um, through your journey and developing all this stuff. So the main thing that you want to avoid is going up in the tower and being stuck in the vacuum of your own mind where you're at the mercy of your ego, which, trust me, is going to partner with your intellectual mind and your fear, and it's going to whisper all kinds of doubts, and and there's going to be all kinds of little back talk and chatter in the background that is undermining your abilities. And like I said earlier, if it's something that you're emotionally invested in, um, it's very hard for you to um, discern or to be objective about that information. So you got to get out of the vacuum of your own mind if you really want to do this stuff. And you're a terrible judge of your own abilities, by the way. You're like the one person who really should not judge whether or not your um, psychic abilities have any kind of hits in them whatsoever, or if your card reading is good and accurate and if it's landing. You really need external feedback. That's the closest you're ever going to get to knowing that the information that you're getting is um, accurate or insightful in some way. You really need to get the feedback from outside 
inside your own head, usually from another person that you're reading for. Um, but in addition to feedback from the person you're reading for, divination tools like the oracle cards are also external. That's one of the reasons why I pull them for myself because it's a way for me to do something outside my own head to get a little bit of a corroboration or an affirmation on some of the stuff I am thinking or feeling intuitively. So when you do a reading using another channel like you know, scanning clairvoyantly, like I talked about, or doing automatic writing with someone's question as a prompt, um, you know, all those different kinds of uh, psychic techniques and um, modalities. Um, if you will do those things first in a reading, whatever it is that you're working on, whatever kind of skill, if you'll do that first and then pull a card, then the card is able to kind of um, give you that external affirmation. And sometimes, you know, it can sum up a whole page of automatic writing. You know, I'm typing, you know, 1500 words and, uh, you know, beating around the bush and going around trying to sort of connect all these dots. And then sometimes I'll pull a card and it's like the card just sums everything up like a keyword or it creates sort of like a symbol for what I'm trying to say. Um, it's like, and here's the title for what you just wrote, you know. Um, um, so it, it kind of reminds me of when we were kids and we would do these vocabulary workbooks in school where you would fill in the blank and then you could look up the answers in the back of the book and see if you got it right. And so um, I think of pulling cards at the end of a reading as being looking the answer up in the back of the book. It's the it's the same kind of thing. And my best advice is for you to think of oracle cards, especially tarot cards, as a kind of ancient vocabulary that just transcends language. Um, I approach astrology similarly as a language for describing personality and interpersonal dynamics. Um, I do absolutely wholeheartedly encourage you to explore developing your intuitive abilities beyond using the cards, but keep in mind that these simple tweaks can be used as a transition from simple card readings to something a little bit deeper and more multifaceted, and more than anything, it is helping you develop as opposed to being a substitution for your intuition in some way. Um, and you might find also that a lot of what you think the cards are telling you or that the book is saying and your interpretation of it, you may be doing a lot more intuitive reading than you realize and giving the cards the credit. Um, so if you feel drawn to doing readings, but at the same time you feel like maybe something is blocking you or standing in your way and so you're a little timid about it, I just want you to know that um, it's the it's the nudge that I'm looking for when I work with someone who wants to develop their intuitive abilities, possibly um, to do it professionally. You don't have to be an ace at it. Um, what you need is a little bit of, for some reason, the inkling that you're supposed to try to do it. Or maybe you just have it in your head that like, hmm, I wonder if I could do that. And you feel drawn to it and it's something that comes up over and over again. Um, we'll figure out the part about teaching you which tools to use 
use and what might be best for you. Um, because as a part of the application process, I actually do an interview and um, we go through with a set of questions that are designed to kind of show if there's anything that's hanging out in your subconscious. Because here's the thing with subconscious blocks. All right. So the big challenges that you've had in life, the really big stuff that has defined major milestones in your story, you've had to deal with those in the light of day. You know, you've had to slay those dragons and you know what those big issues are. Um, you've already dealt with them in therapy or, you know, um, you've survived cancer. You know, there's all kinds of big things that are terrifying that you've dealt with. But the things that tend to block us are much more subtle than that. They are these these little accumulation of things. Just think of snow. You know, think of a blizzard um, and how that can like shut everything down and weigh so much down just through an accumulation of these like tiny little bits and pieces. So you have these tiny little bits of pieces of doubts or um, concerns. Uh, somewhere right in your shadow. It's like so close to you, you can sort of sense it out of the corner of your eye. You can feel that it's there, but you don't quite know what it is because it's just below the surface. So that's the stuff that tends to slow us down or create hurdles or to stump us where we're like, I don't get it. I know that I need to X, Y, and Z. And for some reason, I just don't do it. Um, when you feel that way about something, you're, you're talking about something that's going on in your subconscious. It's probably not something huge. It's just probably something that hasn't been named correctly. So anyway, um, as part of the process of uh, deciding whether or not to work with someone or whether or not they want to take my course, we go through um, a set of these questions that are designed to articulate some of that stuff and to put labels on it and to identify it, drag it out into the light of day and go, this is the issue. Um, and uh, it's not to exclude you from doing the program, just so you know. It's just to give us an idea of like, oh, that's your thing. That's the thing that you do that you always need a little bit of a shove around. And when I say that you might need an extra push, um, these pushes are often, you know, changes in perspective. Everything with your intuition and developing it is usually kind of an Easter egg hunt. It's stuff that's hidden in plain sight. It's sort of a walk through your mind and a recategorization of stuff that you already do, ways that you already think that you've taken on as part of your personality, um, or you just think of as, you know, part of the way that your mind works. Uh, but a lot of that stuff actually is intuitive, and um, it's, it's about turning around and looking at it from another direction and saying, aha, there's that thing Slate's talking about. It's right over there in the corner and I never thought about it that way before. So we do customize the process for each individual person, by the way. So if you feel called to do this kind of work, um, if you've been doing Oracle card readings and you, you're getting the message that you should take this to another level or develop your intuition in another way uh, as part of your purpose, just because you want to, um, or as part of a potential career, just send me an email, contact at sladeroberson.com, and it makes it easier for me to find you and reply re quickly to those requests if you will put automatic intuition as the subject line of the email.
Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can also download a free ebook and a meditation to help you connect with your guides. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or with one of our featured practitioners, please go to sladeroberson.com readings. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message and answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. Some choices benefit from intuitive impulse and action, but not all of them. This is a time when you want to gather knowledge and detach from your emotions. This time, research before you make the important decisions. And I'll talk to you later.